Hi, welcome to the Way Family Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you could join us on this special day, Palm Sunday. We would love for you to gather with us in person this upcoming Easter Sunday at Lawford Middle School here in Tucson, Arizona. You can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. Today is Palm Sunday. I don't know if you know what Palm Sunday is all about. In fact, I'm not sure if you're here because you knew that it was Palm Sunday and you were so excited to be here today and there was nothing else you'd rather do today. That could be you. That, that, that was definitely me today. Or it could be that you're here as someone's guest and you're just kind of doing someone a favor. You're being nice. It could be that you are, uh, just wanted to escape the mundane of every, each and every day, right? Just the, the norm of life. Whatever the reason is that you're here today, we welcome you in the name of Jesus. We're happy that you're here. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. I want us to look into Palm Sunday and why it's such a special day. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but millions of Christians are celebrating this today. Why? Because it has a huge significance. And regardless of why you came today, my goal is that you leave with a deeper understanding of Palm Sunday and why it's such a special day. Okay? That's my goal today. So open to Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to look at the account of the triumphal entry. This is where we get Palm Sunday from. This this entry that Jesus walks into Jerusalem and everyone's screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. I don't know if you guys grew up in church, but when I was a little boy, they used to give out palm branches and we should just have them. And to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I had no idea why. I just thought it was cool, right? We don't have palm branches for you guys today. I'm sorry. But we have some like um, electronic, you know, pictures of them. So hopefully that'll do the justice today. And so again, um, happy Palm Sunday. Now, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Palm Sunday? Just kind of self-evaluate here. Do you understand why we call it Palm Sunday? Or are you just like, I don't don't know. Um, I don't know what Palm Sunday is. So um, today I want to just really dive into this and go from there. Now, we're taking a break from Acts. If you've been coming in weeks past, we've been studying the book of Acts, and of course, we're taking a break, and we're starting our Easter celebration as of today, because this is the beginning of Holy Week. And now, for those of you who joined with us for the Seder meal, uh, that was a really great event, wasn't it? I'm so glad that you guys came out there. And traditionally, the Seder meal doesn't happen, you know, the Wednesday before Palm Sunday. It happens later. But that's just the availability that we had. And so we're glad that you were able to make it. I hope that you all learned something new out of that. It was neat, wasn't it? I'm sorry that, you know, you were late. <laughs> it was our fault. But, um, Yeah, so it's just a a good season to really think deeply about because there's a lot to it, definitely more than meets the eye. And so I want us to look at this account. I want to go to Matthew. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Matthew's gospel has the most references to Old Testament and to prophecies more than the other three, than Mark, Luke, and John. And so I decided to read out of Matthew. However, we're also going to look a little bit into John. So open to chapter 21. And instead of starting in verse 1 of 21, I actually want to go back a little bit and start in chapter 20 and start at verse 29. 
Now, if you kind of uh, scan, scan your Bibles there a little bit, you'll see that Jesus um, is working in ministry, and he's also beginning to make his way back to Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who have been following with us in Acts, we recently saw that many discouraged Paul from going back to Jerusalem because it was a hostile environment to him. The people there wanted to do nothing but kill him. They did not like his message. They did not like what they were teaching. And it originated here with Jesus. Paul was just doing what Jesus did and what he was commanded to do by Jesus in the same way. But this is before Paul. The apostles or the disciples at the time are not quite excited about Jesus going back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem, again, is a hostile place. They want nothing to do with Jesus except kill him. All right. However, Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem. And as he's doing that, he foretells his death three times. And so we see that he's foretelling his death. He's telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise. And then we see that the disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus was talking about. Nevertheless, they were obedient. They followed the master and now they're making their way to Jerusalem. Now, as they're going there, now we'll start in chapter 20, verse 29. It says this, and as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked him, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Chapter 21, verse one. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he, will, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their, spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, this Palm Sunday. When we look back and remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand of your word today, Father, in a way that we just didn't before. And so, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have here today and now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
All right, so we read of this triumphal entry. We see that people are excited to introduce Jesus. And the way they do it, they do it is with their cloaks and palm branches. And there's, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the, in the highest. Now, one thing I want you to notice is that there was a crowd that came with them that was not in Jerusalem. Did you guys catch that? So Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been doing things that have just been absolutely fascinating. He's been healing the sick. He's been bringing sight to the blind. He's been raising people from the dead. Just recently in the, in the account of John, we see that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And one thing that strikes me just so silly and funny at the same time is as, as soon after Lazarus is brought back to life, the Pharisees just want to kill him all over again. Because what Jesus is doing is so radical. It's amazing. It's really attracting a crowd, a crowd that the Pharisees, the Jews and religious leaders didn't know what to do about. They were feeling a little bit jealous. They were feeling a little bit, you know, out of power because of the power that Jesus had. And so this crowd is following him and they're following him pretty much wherever he's going to the degree that, you know, they're, they're seeing things in each, each and every time they're more and more amazed about it. And we'll, we'll look at a little bit more of the things that they were doing or he was doing that attracted them. But nevertheless, they knew that there was something special about Jesus. And so they're preparing to go into Jerusalem, thinking that this was it. This is the time, guys. We know that this is Messiah. We know that this is the Christ. We know that he's the one who's going to save us from the oppressive powers among us, right? And they're thinking the Romans at the time. This is it. He's going to come in. He's going to go into Jerusalem and he's going to set us free. He's going to set all those people straight, right? This is the mentality that they had. And so they were really excited about this. And so today... I want us to consider this passage maybe differently. And so I want to look at two, into three different things. One, I want to look at the question that the crowd asked here. And in, in verse uh, 10, they said, who is this? And so I want us to see who is Jesus. The second thing I want us to look at today is the honesty of the disciples, and particularly John. You don't know what I'm talking about yet because we haven't read John's account, okay? But I want us to see that too, the honesty of the disciples, and then third, the necessity of grace. This is all packed in here. I don't know why I went this direction, but this is kind of just what the Lord put in my heart. And so again, who is Jesus, the honesty of the disciples, and the necessity of grace? And so with that, I want to dive back in and ask the question, who is Jesus? It says in chapter 21, verse 1, now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. I want you to note how Jesus is speaking to his disciples. First, this is what we do know about Jesus. He's a teacher. We know that because he has disciples, he has people who are learning under him, but he's not just a teacher, he's someone with great authority. Look at how he's speaking to his disciples. He's saying, go, do this, and when you get there, you will find a donkey with a colt tied there, tied, tied next to it. How does he even know that? Is that something that Jesus kind of had for prepared? Not necessarily. There's no evidence of that whatsoever, especially because he's coming from a totally different region. Nevertheless, he has this sense of authority. He's speaking to the, the, uh, the disciples with authority. He's saying, go, and this is what you will find. He's talking to them as a king would speak to his subjects. 
And I want you to know this, this because everything that Jesus is doing here is resembling a king. And so he says to them, bring them to me. Now, it was a king's right to demand a beast of burden. Do you guys know what a beast of burden is? I know some of you guys are going to say a donkey, right? A beast of burden was typically a horse, a mule, or a donkey. Okay, it's an animal that they used for work purposes. And so a king had the right to request any of those animals when needed, regardless of whom it belonged to. That was just royal rights. And so if the king needed any of these animals for personal use, didn't matter who you were, you would give it to the king. And then what I love about this is that Jesus says, hey, if anyone asks you about it, just tell them that they'll get it back immediately. Okay, but the Lord needs it. And so Jesus is making this self-declaration that he is Lord. Now, remember, I don't know if you guys remember much of the Gospels, but when Jesus was doing miraculous signs, many of the people wanted to just worship him and lift him up and exalt him and crown him king. Do you remember that? And Jesus would kind of roll out of there. It's not, it's not my time, is what he would say. When he would give the healing to someone, healing of whatever it may be, he typically said, don't tell anybody about it yet, okay? for it is not my time. That was Jesus's message until now. Now he's saying, this is it. It's my time. I'm going to introduce myself as king. So Jesus, we see here, is not just a teacher, not just someone with authority, but he's expressing himself as a king. And so we continue to read. He says, bring the donkeys to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he would send them at once. Verse 4 says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. Hmm, this is interesting. This happened to fulfill what was said so long ago, several hundred years ago, about who the Messiah would be and how he would be introduced as king. Verse 5 says this, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is Matthew quoting straight out of Zechariah. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 9. I believe it's verse 9. And see the, uh, the actual prophecy. So what Matthew's doing here is paraphrasing, excuse me, what Zechariah was saying. Let's, let's look at the full thing. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold... Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, not just a donkey, a baby donkey, right? And just the way the things are setting out, like this is no ordinary man. I don't know if you guys know this either, but did you know that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies? Throughout Scripture, there's been prophecies about the Messiah, the coming Savior, and Jesus fulfilled 300 that we know for sure. Some argue that he fulfilled up to 450, and then there's some particular people who are looking at the very big details there, the little tiny details, and they're saying that he's fulfilled um, at least 700 prophecies. And so what we see here is that Jesus is doing something that no man could even plan to do with their lives, really. It was his mission to come in and to to be that suffering servant that isaiah talks about and to fulfill all of these prophecies that justify him not just justify him that really um uh, uh, 
validify him as the king. All right. And so he's going there. He's asking for the donkeys. He's fulfilling what the prophets have said. But why a donkey? Why a donkey? Like of the th three beasts of burdens, why the donkey? The donkey is probably the, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I think of the donkey, I think of that donkey from Shrek. Like, it's just such an annoying little animal, right? And I don't know if you guys ever dealt with donkeys, but they're not the most clever things ever. They're definitely cute though, right? But the, he's asking for a donkey, and I don't think it was because Jesus necessarily wanted to ride a donkey. It was prophesied that this is how the Messiah came. And it, did, it wasn't just in Zechariah. This started from way long before. In fact, let's go to Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, we see Jacob's blessing. And he starts blessing his sons, and he gives a special blessing to Judah. And we know that the Messiah would come from the line of Judah. That was the Lord's plan. And he says this in verse 10 and 11 of, 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 in regards to the blessing to Judah. He says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. What he's saying here is that there's going to be kingship, kingship from the line of Judah, that the ruler would be within his line. And it says, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Now, if you're like me, I did not understand that right away. What does that mean? Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. So the animals listed in this verse, donkeys, they would normally trample vines which they were tied to because they were kind of ruthless little animals, right? And so this is a picture of the potential of a loss, you know, of a crop, let's say, of something that was gained, that was labored for. But the image here suggests that the land of Judah would be so lush and productive that losing vines in this matter would not be a cause for concern. This is the blessing of Judah, and it's saying, check this out, and I love this part. It says, binding his fold of the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. The little rowdy donkey, the untamed animal, will not just be tied to the vine, but to the choice vine, the nicer one, the best one. Wow, how interesting is this? Now, do you guys ever go to rodeos, rodeo week here in Tucson in February? There's like, you know, all this yee-haw-ness going on, right? The little untamed animals, they just, they'll buck you out. And so this is a donkey that Jesus selects that has never been ridden before. It's a baby. It's not been broken. What happens when you mount an animal that way? It'll buck you. It'll get crazy. It'll destroy you if it, could, if it could, right? It'll do whatever it takes to get you off of it. And nevertheless, Jesus says, bring that to me. I'm going to ride that. That's crazy. But Jesus knew what he was doing. This is who Jesus is. Something beyond we, the thing that we can comprehend, he wasn't just merely a man, but there was definitely this divinity to him. And so he knows exactly what he's doing. And up until this point, he's kept much of who he was and was doing on the download. But this is it. This is the time to let everyone know, to make a public declaration of himself as king. And so I want to continue uh, here on verse 6. It says, the disciples went. And they did as Jesus directed them. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt. And look what they do, guys. They put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. 
Then most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and on others, and, and excuse me, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. This is a beautiful um, picture here of what it would look like. It looked like when you crowned a new king. When the Israelites crowned a new king, this is exactly what they would do. They would take their cloaks off and they would set it before the king as if though they were rolling out the red carpet. Now the people are doing this. Do they fully understand what they're doing? Some might. I'll tell you what, these disciples, not a clue. They were just kind of being courteous, right? And they're doing these things and they're, they're totally doing what the, the Israelites did when a new king was crowned. In fact, let me show you 2 Kings chapter 9, 13. When Jehu was being anointed and crowned as king, this is what happened. It says this, verse 13. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so we see the sense of royalty that's from Jesus, of Jesus now, right? The people are laying out their cloaks. They're laying out the red carpet. They don't have a cloak. Go get a palm tree branch. Do whatever you can. We're going to exalt his name on high. Hosanna to the king. And I don't know if you know this, but Hosanna, what does that mean? It, what's that? Save us. That's right. It means save us. Help. Save us. And this is said in a form of praise. They're pleading for grace, but they're expecting it. They're anticipating it. They know that Jesus is the one. And they're saying, save us. Save us. Have mercy on us. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a plea for grace. And it says, I don't know if you caught that. It just In verse 8, it says, most of the crowd spread their um, their." their cloaks on the road, and they cut branches from the trees. Most of the crowd, not all of the crowd. Why? Because that crowd that came in was already with Jesus, and they were anticipating his entry. But not everyone who is in Jerusalem knows what's going on. Now remember, or in case you didn't know this, this is at the time where they're preparing for the Passover feast. So Jerusalem is not just filled with people as the city that it, as it was, but now it has swelled to just about two million people, pioneers. There are a lot of people in Jerusalem who would uh, go to go for their, let's say, their pilgrimage to be there in the, for the Passover. And so there's a lot of people who have no idea who Jesus is. And then there's this parade. And they were not anticipating this whatsoever. And these people come and they're, they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. What? Cool, I've never heard of this Jesus. Wait a minute, the prophet Jesus? And I'm sure that, that you know, sparked a lot of conversation, etc., and so on. But here's one thing that I want to bring up, and that's the second point. It's the honesty of the disciples. And for that... Let's go to the triumphal entry account according to John. And that's in John chapter 12, uh, verse 12 through 16. It says this, The next day the large crowd had come to the feast. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 16 says this, and this is what I want us to look at. His disciples did not understand these things at first. So Jesus has been walking with them, he's been teaching them, and his disciples don't understand exactly everything that's happening. It's just not ringing bells, you know what I mean? In fact, they weren't the cleverest of the bunch, were they? Remember, they were ordinary, ordinary people that Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And so they're, not, they're honest, and I appreciate this. Is they don't, they, John's saying, this was happening, and we didn't understand what was going on at the time. Like, we, just, we were just kind of going with it. We didn't realize that we were part of the plan. We were fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> but, you know, we got it eventually. And so they went, they got the donkey. They didn't understand why at this time. Like, why does Jesus need a donkey? That's weird. Why wouldn't he ask for a horse? I imagine they're asking this, right? They put their cloaks under Jesus. Did they understand why and what they were doing? Not necessarily. Nevertheless, the Lord was using them to fulfill the prophecies, right? And then they didn't understand why Jesus would choose to go into the dangerous environment that he was choosing to go into. It's like, why are you going to Jerusalem, Jesus? Like you said you would die. Why would you do that? And that's okay. And sometimes it's okay for us also to not understand everything. I'll tell you one thing. The more I dig into scripture, the more I learn, the more I read, the more I realize I don't understand, right? But I can also say that 10 years ago, there was a lot more I didn't understand that I do understand now. And it's by the grace of God that we understand these things. But I love that. The honesty of the disciples says, hey, we just didn't know. We didn't get it. You know? And this wasn't unusual for them. For example, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the disciples didn't understand why he would ask, hey, how much money do we have to feed these guys? Uh, we, 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 there's no way we can feed the, this multitude. Uh, here's some loaves and fishes. Like, why would you even ask about feeding them? Like, that's confusing, Jesus. That's kind of like, doesn't make sense, right? They were confused. They didn't understand. And then we know what happens next. Jesus does, performs a miracle and feeds the 5,000. When Jesus walks on water, do you remember that? They were in the boat, and they see this man walking on the water, and they didn't understand what was going on. They were confused to the degree where they thought that they were looking at a ghost. This was really confusing to them, even though Jesus spoke of himself over and over again. When Jesus foretells his death and resurrection, Mark 9.32 says that they did not understand, and they were afraid to ask. Are you guys ever afraid to ask when you don't understand? It's like, I, nope, no questions. I have no questions whatsoever. You know, that, this was the attitude that these disciples had. And I don't know if you remember Thomas. He didn't understand Jesus when he said that he knew that, that they knew the way because they knew him. Thomas was like, well, we don't know the way. How could we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, Thomas. It's me. I'm, I'm right here. Oh, I didn't get it, right? Philip didn't understand. If you had seen Jesus, you had seen the Father. Philip's like, well, shows the Father. Philip, I'm showing you. They didn't understand. And so likewise, we experience the same thing, right? Jesus is here. He's showing himself. He's proving himself to us. He's revealing himself to us. And we're like, cool, <laughs> you know? And so I love that there's this honesty here because it, for me personally, that's encouraging. It reminds me that I don't have to have it all together right away, 
right? And that the Lord slowly but surely reveals himself to us and he helps us understand these things when we need to understand them. And we do see this, that they, be, they eventually understand the things that are happening here. And I, I almost think it was a good thing that they didn't understand. Otherwise, they would probably like try to do more than they were supposed to or less than, I'm not sure. You know, when I think I know a plan, sometimes I sabotage it, not intentionally, but because I think I know the plan. You know what I'm talking about? And so we do things that we're not necessarily made to do or supposed to do. And so how well was this going for the disciples? You know, it's like they're doing what Jesus is asking them to do, but they're like kind of in the dark. Um, Okay, (laughs) we'll get the donkey. Okay, let's go here. They were definitely not the smartest bunch of guys. And see, here's the, here's the point. It didn't happen for the disciples. It didn't happen. What I mean by that is that they didn't understand. It didn't click for them until it was granted for them to understand. And that's the last point that I want to make here. But before that, I just want to show you this. Luke 24, 31 says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized it. And then again in verse uh, 45 of that same chapter 24, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So I don't know if you remember this, but there was two walking with Jesus after he resurrected, and they didn't even realize they were walking with him. Their eyes were closed to it. But then their eyes were opened. It was like, whoa, that was him. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, it says. So it's, it's evident that things don't click until God allows it to click for us, right? And that's the third point, the necessity of grace. We don't understand it because perhaps we haven't been graced to understand it, and that's okay. And we can ask God to help us understand things. So if Palm Sunday is like, yeah, I still don't know what the big deal is, it's okay. It's okay. It'll come eventually, right? It was only by God's grace that the disciples were granted understanding and the ability to see. So I want to go back to Matthew chapter 20. Remember we read a little bit before 21? That was intentional. Check this out. Let's read that again. It says, chapter 20, verse 29. And when they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. There was two blind men sitting by the roadside, and they heard that Jesus was passing. Now, it's pretty evident what they think of Jesus because they call him Son of David. Son of David was a messianic title. You don't call anybody that. That was for the Christ. They believed that this was the Savior. These blind men knew, this is it. This is our opportunity. Son of David, have mercy on us. And so the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, be quiet, stop bothering him, right? But they cried out all the more. They had this sense of desperation. They said, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. Verse 32, and stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And then they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Have mercy on us. Help us see. We want to see you. We want to see again. Let our eyes be opened. Will you do that for us, Lord Jesus? And Jesus in pity uh, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. That is grace. That is mercy. These guys could do nothing about their blindness, right? except for cry out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. Help us. Would you please do this for us? And Jesus had pity on them, and boom, 
they could now see. I think that's just an amazing thing. And that's the condition that we're in most of the time or a lot of the times where we want deeper understanding, but we don't ask the Lord for it, right? We look for other things to help us be enlightened and we realize that we just get more lost, more confused. We're filling our heads with information that's just not of the Lord. And so what I urge you to do is go to the Lord and ask him to reveal himself to you, to open your spiritual eyes to understand. In the same way, it took the power of Christ and of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of the disciples. Now they understood what was going. The same power opened the eyes of the blind men that we read here about. And the same power of the Holy Spirit is what will open our eyes, eyes of men and women to believe in Jesus and trust him for salvation. They not only believe in Jesus, that he was a person, a lot of people believe that Jesus existed, but to believe him as the Messiah, to believe in him as Jesus, the name above all names, as King, as he was presented on this Palm Sunday, as your majesty, as Savior. When a person comes to affirm these things, it would only have been by God's grace. We can't even get to that unless God graces, graces us to, with the ability to do that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. This is one reason why Palm Sunday is a special day, guys, because the King is introduced to us. We're able to see him. We're able to cry out, Hosanna, blessed are you. Hosanna to the highest. And this is also a special time because, as many anticipated, Jesus walks into Jerusalem and boom, this is the beginning of the persecution that eventually leads Jesus to be arrested, betrayed, arrested, beat, punished, crucified, and buried. It starts now, this is why Jesus went into Jerusalem, for his love was so great for us that he was willing to die. He knew that the moment he stepped into Jerusalem, it would start. Can you imagine that kind of stress? Knowing that if you went anywhere for the sake of dying, like what would that feel like for you? But Jesus in his love and compassion for us, he was able to do that. I love what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says. It says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, meaning though he was creator, though he was sovereign and seated at the throne of God, though he needed nothing from us, right? Yet for our sake, he became poor so that you may, by his poverty, might become rich. In other words, he took up himself humanity in order that he might take upon himself our sin. This is why Jesus is doing, this is why Jesus is walking into Jerusalem the way that he is, to take up our sin. What an expression of love, don't you think? But you'll never get to that apart from grace. You just will never get to that unless the Lord graces you, right? Gives you the grace to be able to understand that, to be able to, to, to really absorb that as it's meant to be. It is the grace of God that opens our eyes, changes the heart, and puts songs in our mouths. I don't know about you, but I can't speak for things that I don't believe in. Do you guys speak up for things that you don't believe in? No? I can't speak up for, if, if I'm not in agreement with something, there's no way I'm going to cheer that on or agree with it. 
Um, for example, I'll give you some pretty cheesy examples. Let's see if you guys can follow. Like, I could never wear a black and silver jersey and be, be called part of the nation. Are you following? There's just no way I could ever do that. You can never find me wearing red doing the arrowhead chop. There's no way. Why? That's just not me. I don't believe in that. I've not been graced, I guess, if that's the word to say it. You'll never see me orange, wearing orange at mile high. Mm-mm. Nope. Not, you might find Richard wearing orange at mile high. Not I. And you'll definitely never, ever, ever find me waving a terrible towel. That's just not me. I don't identify that way. I can't, I can't do that because I don't believe in that. Do you know what I mean? Again, this is a cheesy example for the sake of example. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, we can have the conversation after service. I'm using, for those NFL fans, they know exactly what I'm saying. I'm just not part of that group or those groups, and that's okay. I don't even want to be part of those groups, all right? But the group that I do like, the team that I do like, I would gladly wear that shirt. No problem, right? I would gladly root. Matt wouldn't, but I would, right? In the same way, I will forever proclaim the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ. In the same way, I would forever sing praises to his name. Forever, I would never cease, I'll say, in declaring his goodness and grace towards us because of what he has done for me, because I identify in him now. And likewise, we ought to as well. If you have been graced to understand this gift of Jesus, then what are you doing, you know? Wear, wear the, the colors. Cheer the, the, the Savior, for he is here. Amen. And so I want to end with this passage, Philippians 2. 1 through 11, and I love the way it reads. Let's flip there. And this is something that's really difficult to understand unless we have an understanding of Jesus' kingship. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2. I know my Bible has it somewhere. And it says this, Christ's example of humility. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also in the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus humbled himself. He put himself on a donkey. I don't remember him ever writing anywhere. Jesus walked everywhere, and he says, bring me a baby donkey. I'm going to ride it. He humbled himself, it says, even to the point of a cross. Do you know how humiliating that display was? 
to put Jesus up the way that he was hung? That, was, that must have been humiliating to, to, for you, to serve you, that he would take up the sin, that, that pun, punishment, that penalty that was due for you. Again, what a display of love. You know, Jesus will have another triumphal entry. Did you guys know that? And this time he's not going to come back riding on a donkey. He's going to come back in a white horse proclaiming war. That Jesus is the one that we're anticipating now. That Jesus is the one that this crowd was kind of hoping for at this time in Jerusalem. And then we'll see next week that a lot of them were disappointed in Jesus's humility. They were disappointed that he did not redeem them in the way that they felt that he should. But Jesus redeems them in a way that they could not even imagine or understand. And so we celebrate Easter because it's the day that Jesus delivers us, redeems us from the grips and the powers and the oppression of sin. Not the Romans, but sin. And because of that, we are free. Because of that, we have everlasting life. Amen? I want to close with this, and I do want to ask you this question. Has God opened your eyes? Has God opened your eyes to saving grace, let's say? Have you encountered the grace of God? If not, we can ask for that. I love what Psalms 119.18 says. Open my eyes that I may behold your wondrous that I may behold wondrous things of your law. And I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. We can say that, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold you, that I may behold your wonders, that I may understand the things, Lord Jesus, that are about you. Hide not your commandments from me. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we can come to saving grace. And so we can do that. We can ask the Lord to reveal himself to us. So let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, Father, thank you so much for this time together. We ask, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would help us understand, Father, the depth of what happened on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, Lord, and everything in between, Lord Jesus. Let us not take that for granted. Let us not look on it and belittle it. But Lord, allow us, Father, to comprehend the implications here, Lord Jesus. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your willingness to humble yourself and ride in on a donkey and not a horse. Thank you, Jesus, for your sovereignty, for you knew exactly what you were doing. And thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you were willing to give up your son for us to redeem us from the oppressive powers of sin and death. We'll let our hearts be changed. Let us not leave the same, Father. We ask, Father, that you would come into our hearts, into our minds, that you, were, you would dwell in, to our, in our souls, Lord Jesus, and that we would live for you and for you alone, that we would sing for you, Lord Jesus, that we would proclaim your goodness, and we would celebrate your triumphal entry. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.